So I'm picking up in week two, chapter two, and I, as Pastor Mitch said on, on, I almost said on the radio, on the screen just now, I'm old enough that I used to listen to the radio when you had to turn the dials. Somebody know what I'm talking about. The um, kids now are like, radio what? They get their phone out, you know, and it's, uh, it's not the same. You got a little bit, have a little static in there. You got to have a little static in there sometime. The, um, but Philippians is one of my favorite books of the Bible. And I told my wife that this morning. And I was leaving. She said, what are you preaching on? I said, Philippians. She goes, oh, that's easy for you. And it's just, I love this book. I love what Paul is, what he's writing about, what he's telling the church. And I would encourage you in this series Go read along with what's happening. Go back. If you didn't read chapter 1, go read it from last week. Read chapter 2 this week, and we're going uh, to try to bring it to life for you in a way that maybe you haven't seen it because it matters that you have joy in your life. And what we're going to talk about today is one of the things that help you have joy is people that you surround yourself with. And as Pastor Mitch said last week, the Apostle Paul is writing from a jail cell in it's sitting at the bottom of this dark, dungy jail, chained to a guard, and he's talking about, I can do all things through Christ. That, that I'm going to think about things that are, that are pure and praiseworthy and, 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 and honorable. And then, he, and then he says, I thank my God always. He uses phrases like that, sitting in a jail cell. He's not sitting in a condo somewhere. He's not overlooking the beach, watching the, ra- the waves roll in with the blue, you know, the blue water and the white sand and the sun's perfect. That's not what he's, now he's not sitting back saying, I thank God always for everything. No, 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 no. He's in a dark place, but he gives us such a perspective. And on chapter two, he gives a perspective on something that matters so much to us, and it's on relationships. And it's on how to treat others. And at the end of the chapter, Paul gives us a look into some of his closest relationships. I want to look at Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 3 and 4 before we get started. And, and honestly, we could just read this and, and go home from this. But he says, verse 3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others and as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others, too. All right. Week two, you're dismissed. You can go home now. Because we could. We could leave with that. If we would live that out, it would change our world. But I want to jump into a little later in the chapter when he talks about what it really means to not be selfish, to not try to impress others, to think of others as better than yourselves, not looking out for my own interest. What does it mean, though, as Paul is living this out? And so I'm going to read through a big portion of Scripture. You can follow with me along the screen or if you have your Bible or you version, however you're following along. It's Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start at 19, uh, verse 19. And we're going to read about 10 verses here. But I want to set this up and then we're going to go back and unpack this a little bit. But I want you to see this in a light that maybe you've never seen this before and why it matters in your world and it matters in my world. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. Man, what, what would he say about our church? What would he say about City Hills Church? How are we getting along as a church? Because that's who he's talking about. He's talking about the church. 
And he says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your, will, your welfare. Verse 21, all the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. He said, all the others, they only care. They're only in it for them. He said, but you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served me in preaching the good news. And he said, I want to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. Talking about sitting in this jail. Am I going to be released? Am I, am I going, is this is where I die? Is this the end? Because, because Paul was trying to get to Rome. He was, trying to, he was trying to get to the place where he could preach the gospel and have the most impact. He wanted to get to what was known then as the crossroads of the world. And he knew if he could get there, he could make the Im- biggest impact with the gospel. But instead, God says, you know what, Paul? Before I send you there, I'm going to send you off to jail first. Well, it sounds like a great plan, don't it? I mean, this is, hey, God, I want to go preach the gospel to where it would make the most difference, the epicenter of civilization at this point. And I want to go there, and God says, well, that's probably a good idea you have, but how about I send you over here and put you in a Philippian jail? And, uh, oh, yeah, and I'm going to chain you to a guard the whole time that you're there. And what we find is Paul goes on, and as Pastor Mitch may have unpacked or will continue to unpack, he, he goes on to, to make such a difference that every guard and everybody in the jail gets saved. And it goes all the way up into the government of the impact that Paul makes. But out of that, we get this incredible book about how to have joy in our lives no matter what. And he said, so as soon as I find out what's going to happen to me here, I'm going to be sending Timothy. Verse 24, and I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come see you soon. Paul feels like, hey, I think I'm going to get out of here. This may end well for me. Some of us just would not have this perspective. But in verse 25, we're going to pick up a very interesting character. Because a name like Paul is pretty common. A name like Timothy is very common. But look at this guy that shows up. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus. If you're Expecting child today, consider that name. It'll be good for them. It'll make them strong and tough as they grow up. It'll be like a boy named Sue. It's, I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He said he is a true brother, a co-worker, a fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. He said, I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, Then I will not be so worried about you. Look at what Paul is doing. And, I, and I'm setting this up. Now, typically I don't read this much scripture at the beginning. But I wanted to set this up and the story up. And Paul is sitting in a jail cell, and he's worried about the people in the church. And he's worried about these messengers. He's worried about his friends with Timothy and Epaphroditus and those at the church. He said, welcome him. In the Lord's love with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ. And he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Now, when, what I just read to you, at a first glance, we look at this section of Scripture. We're like, oh, that, was, that was good. It's not very deep, but that, that was good. So, well, really, why is this in the Bible? Come on, come on let's, let's, let's get to the good stuff. Let, let's get to the good part now. 
Let, let's get to the part, you know, you know let, let's get to the real deep good stuff. Let's, let's get to, you know, I can do all things through Christ. Let's get to, I thank God always for what you're doing. Let's get to, for, for, me, for me to live is, for, is Christ and me to die is gain. For that, that I may know him in the power of his glory and the, the suffering of his reign. Let, let's get to those scriptures in Philippians. But no, we're, we're going to camp out here today. Because this is here to teach us. And it teaches us this, to have joy in our lives. It matters who you have around you. Because I want to show you, Paul is sitting in a place that, again, he's not sitting on the beach writing this. He's sitting in a jail cell writing this kind of language to you and I. And so when we think we have a bad hair day, and when, you know, we, we stub our toe, and, you know, the kid leaves, you know, 41 Legos on the, dear God, those things are from Satan. He leaves them on, and we step on them. We think, oh, I'm having a bad day. You know, where God, where are you? And Paul's like, hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me tell you something from this jail cell that I'm writing from. And I want you to have a perspective that it matters who you have in your life. And I want to unpack this for you. So in 2007, it was April of 2007. I can take you back to the day I, I, I made a, a um, uh, I guess we'd be a, technically an odorologist, odorologist, ENT doctor, very wealthy for several months of his life. He bought a new Jaguar and he said he bought a new house off of me because I kept going in for surgery after surgery. One of my friends, uh, I was laying there getting ready for my fourth surgery or third surgery. And uh, one of my friends said, well, the Martin family has been good because he had operated on both of my kids and he was operating on me as well. And uh, and the doctor, he looked, looked at my friend George, he said, yeah, he said, they have. He said, he said, you see my new car? I just pulled up in. He said, thank you, Mr. Martin, for that. He said, I'm doing some upgrades on my house. I'm like, on it, really? We're about to go into surgery. This is what we're going to talk about? And, um, but I had, a, I had several surgeries. And I had a tumor in my left ear. And they had to completely remove my left ear. And they cut all of my neck muscles on this side. And they went in and my facial nerve and all of my balance and equilibrium and all of that was, was messed with. And uh, they rearranged it all. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was crazy. It was just, you know, you could, like, you know, those big jumbo uh, 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 jawbreaker things. You could, like, drop a whole one in my ear and just lose it forever. It was so big. But, anyway, they messed me all up. But the, one of the worst things outside of my neck muscles being cut and I couldn't turn my head, so everything was, you know, like this, was the recovery is they messed me up, and, and I, when I walked, I pulled to the left. It, it, I, was, I was out of alignment, and it was bad, and it was, it was awful, and my friends loved it. And it matters who you surround yourself with. And so... So I would walk and I would pull to the left, and I didn't know it. And again, um, you know, I, I'm just I'm just walking, and I can't walk straight. And it's like if you've ever driven a car that pulls to the right or the left, that's exactly what it felt like. Except I was walking, and that was happening, and it was just, and there was nothing I could do about it. As, as hard as I would try, I would recenter myself, I would stop, and it, it just every time I went that way. And it was for months that this happened. So when I couldn't drive for six or eight weeks. And so my friends would take me everywhere. So my two closest friends, one named George and one named Lamar, they would, uh, they would come to the house. They would pick me up, and they would take me. And what we found is they had to walk on either side of me because I would bump into them, and they would keep me straight. They helped me stay in the row or the lane or the line that I need to stay in. So... I could end the story right there and tell you, you need people like that in your life. You need somebody on it. And, man, we could make that, you know, we could make that as spiritual and as awesome as you want. But let me tell you about my friends. 
Let me tell you about my friends. They love me so much. That I'll never forget, we were taking George's oldest daughter to the uh, orthodontist. And we were walking in, and, and I kept bumping him, and, and, and he would just, they would just kind of bump me back. And, and so we're walking in, and, uh, and I, it was, I'd yet to, like, you know, do some things because of the neck muscles and stuff being cut. And I said, I'll get the door. And they loved me so much that I'm looking at the door, and I have my left hand out like I'm going to grab it. And George backs up, and I just walk, and I walk right into the brick wall. I missed the door by this much. Busted my knuckles, just rammed right, and they just, they died laughing. They thought it was awesome. They thought it was great, and here I am, and I mean, I just smashed my hand, and, and I, there was nothing I could do about it. I, I didn't see it coming until it was too late, and I just walked right into the brick, and, and, and now I'm backing up, and I'm looking at them. Of course, they think it's hilarious. They're laughing. I'm bleeding. My knuckles are all beat up and busted up, and you know, but so that's, that's my kind of friends that I have in my world. They're still my closest friends. But you have people around you that when they are in the right place at the right time, they will help you stay centered. And Paul, this is what he's talking about. Because there's, there are times in your life that your spiritual, your mental, your emotional, and sometimes your physical equilibrium get off. And it may be the surgery of life, or it may just be happenings of life, or it just may be just junk that goes on in your world and in your family, and you start kind of pulling to the left a little bit. And maybe you kind of pull to the right. And that's why it matters that you have people around you that will help bump you and center you back where you need to be. And so I'm going to tell you today to have true joy in your life. It matters who you have around you. So if we go back to the Scripture, Paul intends to send these two guys back to the church, and he's endorsing them as role models. He said, look, Timothy, I have no one else like him, is what he said in verse 20. There's nobody else like him. And Epaphroditus, he says, welcome him. Honor men like him. This is what he said about these two guys. He said they would bring joy to his life, and he's sending them. Verse 19, he said, so that he can cheer me up. Then he says, so that he, we would be glad to see him. He said, and then look what Paul says. And you need people in your life that do this. It was in verse 28. He said, so that I may have less anxiety and less worry. It matters who you have around you. And so this passage I've read to you, and it was a lengthy passage I read. But I want to, I want to extract four, four truths out of it that will help you become a person that has the qualities that we're talking about so that you can have joy in your life. So that you can have joy no matter what. There, there's, been, uh, there, there's been months and moments in my life that only, the only way that I made it was Jesus and those around me. I can look back over the last year, year and a half of my life. And I, I told my wife this morning, I said, thank you. She said, Why? <laughs> We've been married 23 years. She said, why? I said, J just because. I said, I'm just grateful. I said, you make me better. I said, you're, 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 you're there. You're, you're strong for me when, when I need somebody just to tell me it's going to be okay. I've got a friend in my life. I text him on Friday. I said, I'm just feeling grateful today. I just want to say thanks. 
Um, I, I text another one of our staff members, one, my assistant. I text her. I said, I said, thank you. I love, I love what we get to do. I'm, I'm better because of you. Because I know how important it is to have the right people around me because I've lived and I've endured enough hell and put up with enough junk that I need a little bit of heaven from some people in my life to raise me up and to pick me up and to stand beside me and keep me from just running off the rails. And you need people in your life that will keep you from running off the rails. So here's the, here's the four things. We'll start with the first one. How do I become one of these, what, this type of person Paul's talking about? The first thing you have to do is you have to shift the focus away from myself. I have to shift the focus off of me. If you want more joy, then shift the focus off of you. Look at verse 20. He says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. Look at this. All of the others care only for themselves and not for what matters. They only care for themselves. The Phillips translation of the Bible says it this way. They are all wrapped up in their own affairs. You know, some of you didn't get up this morning wondering, man, I'm, I'm going to church and I'm going to sit in this, this theater today. And, and I'm so glad that Pastor Mitch is going to be there preaching. Oh, dear God, he's not there. Okay, 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 it's going to be all right. But you didn't get up thinking, Man, who's going to be in that room <clears throat> that I can help today? Who's going to be in that room that's had a bad week? Maybe a handful of people did, but a majority of us didn't. Because Why is that? Because we have so much stuff going on in our own worlds that we're thinking most of the time, how am I going to survive the week? How am I going to survive the day? Thank God it's the weekend. Thank God I can go to church and I can get a little bit of strength today. Thank God I'm going to be able to worship today and hopefully I will feel a little bit better. And all of those things are true and that's what they're for. But how many times are we waking up, are we walking in a room thinking, I wonder what others' needs would be? Philippians 2 and 4, if we back up earlier in the chapter, he said, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others. And it's a matter of focus. Because we have to shift our focus. Because it's not normal. We have to learn it. it. It's not. It doesn't just come second nature all the time. You have to train yourself to think, what, what are some of the other needs in the room? Because a man or a woman who is wrapped up in themselves, they're no gift. <laughs> they are no gift. You, you know people like that. There's somebody in your world. That they're all wrapped up in their self. And if you're going, man, I can't think of anybody in their world like that. Everything's about me. Well, then maybe you're wrapped up. But you know somebody. You've been exposed. There's somebody at work. There's somebody. There's that one family member. You got them. You got them. You know who they are. You're thinking about them right now. Don't call their name. Don't, we're not praying for them right now. We just, you, you know who they are. But you know that person. And it's sad how many times we miss the needs of people around me. And people that I love. How many times have I missed the needs of my kids, of my wife, of my family members, of my close friends? Because either I was overwhelmed or I was not paying attention or I had the focus all on me. Why is that? Because at the center of it all, we're all self-centered. We're all self-centered. And we have to work to get beyond it. There was a psychological study, that sounds like fun, that was over, of words that we've used over the last 200 years. And they found that words that, that indicated there was a growing focus on self. And this, is due, this was over literature and books written over the last 200 years. And words such as unique, 
individual and self all increased in use. The words of I and me as well. But what we also found is words with the importance of religion. Obedience and social relationships seem to decline over the 200-year period with words like authority, belong, and pray became less common in literature. And the truth is, is when you aren't looking out for others' needs, you will miss their needs. You will. You, you have to be aware. And, you, and to do that, you have to train yourself to shift the focus off of yourself. The second thing is this. If we pull from this scripture and this, this passage, is become someone that people trust. Someone who can't be trusted is on the road to ruin. The more people trust you, the more joy you will have. If nobody trusts you, you're probably going to live a pretty miserable life. Learn to be reliable, dependable, and I promise you'll have more joy in your life. Become someone people trust. Look at this, verse 22, as we pull this out. He said, but you know how Timothy has proved himself. He proved himself like a son with his father. He served with me in preaching the good news. He said, Timothy has proved to be dependable, to be reliable, to be trustworthy. Hey, you can depend on that guy. You have people in your life that you know I can depend on them. I can pick up the phone and I can call them. And that's a lost art as well. But we can text them. And they're actually going to reply to the text. You're not going to leave it open and see the three little dots come up. Wait, wait. Wait, 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 wait. They go away. Oh, well, they're just replying or something. Three days later, dot, dot, dot. Nothing. You get nothing. They're not reliable. They won't. I had a friend one time. I called him. And uh, I was, you know, I was at a pretty low point in my life. And I called him. He said, hey, I'll call you back tomorrow. I got something going on. I said, okay, sounds good. He called me back a year later. He's not, he, we, he, I'm not sure how much of a friend he was. But you have people like that. But you also have that person that you can call and you can text, hey, I need your help. And before you can finish, they're replying. And like they're at your door. You're like, my God, what just happened? Because they're reliable. They're trustworthy. He, so I want to ask you the question today. Do you have people that you have confidence in that are trustworthy for you? But I want to flip that question. Do people have confidence in you? Are you trustworthy? Would, would Paul be able to say the same about you and I? Because he'd been proven, he'd been tested. Anytime you go get a loan, the bank is going to do a credit check and a background check, and they're going to ask, are you trustworthy? Are you credible? Can, can, you, can you pay them back on time? Do you keep your word? Do you do what you say you're going to do? Are you credit worthy? Are you credible? But here's a secret. Everyone around you is constantly doing a credit check on you. And they're saying, are you the real deal? Can you be depended on? Are you what you say you are? Are you, are, you, are you who you really say that you are? They're doing a credit check on you all the time. And, you know, actors play parts. And it's a different role for a different audience. And in the, the Greek word for, for this in the Greek is called hypocritos. Hypocritos, which we get our modern word, modern day word, hypocrite. Somebody who plays a different part for a different audience. 
That's why it messes us up when, you know, somebody that's been playing Jason Bourne for so many years, they show up in a comedy. You're just like, I can't, they can't be funny. That dude's got to be killing somebody right now. There's like 14 special agents got to be dead and behind him right now because that's Jason Bourne. He, he can't be funny right now. No, 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 that, that's who he is. But yet we show up and then we finally figure out, okay, he's just playing a part and I'm going to laugh about this. But what about in your world? Are you playing different parts for different people? Are you not the same person? Are you different when you're at work than when you're at home? What do you look like on the golf course versus when you're at church? What does it look like in front of your spouse and your children, but then when the friends come over? What does it look like for people to look into your world and say, are they credible? Are they trustworthy? Timothy, he could be trusted. And guess what? It brought joy to Paul's life. You want to bring joy in your life and you want to bring joy to somebody else's life, be trustworthy. Be trustworthy. Learn to be consistent. Develop a reputation for reliability. And I love this as we as we step in step deeper off into this and I got to hurry. One of the ways you do that is you live with integrity. Live with integrity where your actions match your words, where what you see is what you get. It's not being perfect, but it means this is who this is what I said. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to show up and do it. Proverbs 25 and 13. He says, like a snow-cooled drink at harvest time is a trustworthy messenger to the one who sends him. He refreshes the spirit. He refreshes his spirit. Do you, are you refreshing when you show up in people's lives? And you know how you're refreshing to people? is when you're trustworthy, when you follow through with what you say you're going to do. Because the other side of it is no fun. Proverbs 25 and 19, six verses later, he says this, Because when I put my confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble, it's like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. You don't want to be that person. We know what, you know what it's like. Uh, about a year ago, I was, I just left a restaurant and I was walking outside and we were talking to our friends and I kept, I was like, man, I got, I got sand in my mouth. What in the world? Like, I don't eat much salt, so I knew it wasn't that. And I was like, what, what's going on? And my tooth was literally coming apart in my mouth. And I'm, I'm like, what in the world? And so my tooth breaks in half, it's coming out of my mouth. And then it didn't get real bad till the next day. Because I'd forgot about it. And I threw a piece of gum in my mouth. And it found that spot. And then I found Jesus. Because I called upon him quickly. But when we put our confidence in an unreliable person, it's like chewing with that broken tooth. It's like walking on that. It can't be trusted. It typically causes more pain in our life. I heard Pastor Larry Stockstill say this. He said, integrity is keeping your word in the small thing and the big things. This, I heard this two and a half, three years ago, and this impacted my life ever since then. He says, if you told someone you would call them back, don't make them stay up past their bedtime waiting on your phone call. Wow. It's in the small things. It's in the small things. The other way you do this, you live with integrity and you keep your promises. Paul's writing about two guys who keep their promises. They follow through no matter what. He said, it's going to cost me, but I'm going to keep my word. I don't know how y'all broke these scriptures down. I'm, i got to hurry. So I'm just going to jump to verse 4 of Psalm 15. I don't know where we're at on this. So 
Psalm chapter 15, verse 4. Paul's talking, or David's talking about what it means to, he said, you refuse gossip. He said, don't speak evil. He said, honor God and faithful followers. But he said, look at this. He said, and honorable people, they keep their promises even when it hurts. They keep their promises even when it hurts hurts. If you want to be trustworthy in somebody's life, you keep your promises even when it hurts. And so Paul is a superstar and he's wrote most of the New Testament. The guy, I mean, the guy's, he's got the pedigree. He's going, he's got it going on. And he knows that ultimately we're going to get more done working together. We're going to get so much more done working that I can't do all this by myself. You can't do everything you need to do in life by yourself. You need people around you. And so the third thing I want to pull out of this is you have to build life-giving relationships. You have to build them. They don't just show up. If you've ever built anything, you know it takes a little work. It takes a little planning. It takes effort. And you have to build those life-giving relationships in your life. Verse 25 and 26 of Philippians 2, we're walking through this chapter. He said, meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother. He's a co-worker. Look what he's calling him. He's a brother. He's a co-worker. He's a fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. I'm sending him because he's been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. You will have more joy in your life if you build life-giving relationships. He says, he's saying that what, he, what he's calling, when he calls him a, a true brother, a co-worker, a fellow so- soldier, he's saying that building this relationship, he's like family to me. He, he calls him a brother. And you need to understand that the church you're a part of is a family. It's the family of God. You're my brother. You're my sister. The person next to you, they're your brother. They're your sister in the family of God. We can't lose this idea that the church is the family of God. 133 times, 133 times in the Bible, God uses family terms to describe his church. That's enough to let me know that we're the family. We're in this together. We're in this together. That's why it matters that you're a part of a small group. That's why it matters that you have people around you so that you can, you can fight together. Because that's what we do in small groups. And we support each other and we defend each other. And we encourage each other in small groups, in the family of God. And small groups are the best and most effective means of discipleship. We grow in our faith. And that's why they matter, and that's why it's, it matters in our lives. Because it gives you perspective in two areas. The first one is this. You're sitting there, somebody begins to talk, and you have this moment. Oh, you too. I, I'm not alone in this, whatever this is for you. And then the second thing it does, it makes you hear what others are going through, and it helps you see beyond your own circumstances. That's why I want to encourage you. Find a group. I know summer groups are going. But find a group in the fall. Think about it now. In a few weeks when, when fall small groups kick off, what are you going to join? What are you going to lead? Start thinking about it, praying about it now. What does it look like for me to build these relationships in my life? Because relationships matter. They matter. It matters who you have around you. And the fourth thing I want to extract from this passage is this. is I Live for something worth dying for. And this is where Paul really wraps it up. If you want to have joy in your life, you want to be that person that can be trusted. You want to be that person that can shift the focus beyond yourself. 
You, you want to you you put somebody on each side of you so you, don't, so you don't just run off the rails of your life. But deep, abiding joy. Joy no matter what. It comes in your life when you're living and serving something bigger than yourself. Because people will give first-class allegiance to second-class causes. And we'll get betrayed in the process. It's so true. We will give big-time commitment to small-time causes. Think about it in your own life. But giving time and energy to what? How much is this going to matter in five years, 10 years, 15 years? And the best investment I've ever made in my life is investing in something bigger than me, something worth dying for. Because you really can't live until you know what is worth dying for. At that point, you're just coasting. I want to quickly read through verses 27 to 30. It said he, he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. Talking about Epaphroditus. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I'm all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him. And then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy. Give him the honor that people like him deserve. Look at verse 30. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you could not do from far away. He's sending this package and so there, there's only one way to get there. There's only one way to deliver this care package. There's no FedEx. We're, we're not going to call UPS. We're not going to ask what can Brown do for you because they can't do anything for you sitting in this jail. It's too far. It's 800 miles for him to get there. And Epaphroditus raises his hand and says, I'll take it. I'll go. Send me. He, Paul didn't have the option to click on Amazon Prime. And then be mad because it didn't show up by 9 p.m. at your doorstep and they didn't take a picture and send it to you. There's no Amazon Prime option. But Epaphroditus says, send me. I'll, I'll do this. And through the process, through robbers and thieves and battling sickness, he travels 800 miles and he gambles his life for the cause of Christ. And on this 800-mile trek, he gets so sick he nearly dies that everyone was worried about him. But in spite of all of that and the persistent pain and the setback and the trouble, he finished what he started. Let me ask you today, what commitment have you started that you need to finish? What if Epaphroditus had just quit? We wouldn't have this portion of Scripture. We wouldn't, the church wouldn't have been encouraged. People's lives would not have been changed. Paul would not be able to say, I have more joy in my life. Because I had somebody like Epaphroditus. Paul wouldn't be able to say, I, I think I'm going to make it. And there's people you can think of in your life that you wouldn't be where you're at today if it had not been for them. And are there, can people say that about you? Have you poured into someone's life? What commitment do you need to keep? Maybe to your spouse, to your kids, maybe at work, to yourself. What commitment do you need to keep to God? What, what, what commitment do you need to keep to a friend? What friend have you kept up past their bedtime? Because it's been about two weeks since you called them and you told them you would. What person needs encouragement from you? And what if it's no longer convenient? What if it's no longer comfortable? He said, we got to go. 
And we got to live for something bigger than us. we got to get it off of us. That's how we're going to have joy in our lives. That's, that's one of the ways we're going to have joy no matter what. Because God is not finished testing your faith. God didn't bring you to this church just to watch. You have a role to play. You have a role. They talked about it earlier. Go to Growth Track if you haven't been. Start there. Get on the team. Join the team. Serve a cause bigger than you. Have a reason to show up to church on the weekend more than just saying, man, the music's going to be good. And when Pastor Mitch is preaching, it's going to be great. And when when I get to see a couple people I like, it's going to be fun to talk to. But what can I serve and pour into this, this family of faith? I want to encourage you today to pray one of the most dangerous prayers in the world. And it's only two, two words. And it's just simply, or it's three words, I'm sorry. Simply, Lord, use me. Use me. Because it's the secret to having joy and true fulfillment. Joy comes when we put what God wants in our life over security. When we, God blesses those who serve him when it's inconvenient, when it's uncomfortable. And if you pray for God to use you, trust me, he'll figure out the details. Mark 8, 35, he said, Only those who give away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to truly live. Putting your life first always ends off the rails somewhere. But when you put God first, you bring joy to your life. That helps you get through the struggles. You bring joy to your life that helps others get through the struggles. I have two friends right now that I, I, have, I basically have on speed dial. And when I'm having a bad day, I call their number. And about 9.9 times out of 10, they answer. And the favor's returned. Just this week, I had an opportunity to encourage someone, and I was busy, and I didn't really think I wanted to take time to do it. And this scripture came to mind because I was preparing to preach it this week, and I stopped, and I said, this is an opportunity to make a difference in someone's life with some encouragement. And guess what? I had part of a bad day this week, but when I reached out beyond my own needs, into their world, it brought joy into my life. I was able to do that yesterday. On the sixth anniversary of my dad tragically passing away, he was one of the most generous people I know. And I had a few moments yesterday where I was thinking about dad. I was sad. I was irritated. I was happy. Kind of went through a range of emotions. And last night, I had the opportunity to do what my dad did best, and that was be generous. And it's amazing the difference it made in my life. And it's amazing the difference it made in the person I was able to help with the tears running down their face. It brought joy to my world. And it brought joy to their world. And that's how we're going to make it when we have each other and we have these people in our life. If you would, close your eyes and bow your head. I want to pray. Lord, thank you for this day. And God, I pray that this portion of Scripture, though it may seem just a little bit of a story being told, God, that it would impact us today to make a difference in the lives of others. God, that we would know you, that we would find freedom, discover our purpose, but most importantly, we would make a difference. 
because that's what you've called the church to do. I pray that you help us and be with us in Jesus' name. God, we need you today. We trust you today. We trust you today. God, help us to bring joy, bring joy to people's lives. I want to pray for you this morning, keeping your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If For you, maybe today, the first step you need to take is saying yes to Jesus. You know there's no joy and there's, there's, there's things messed up in your world and you're trying to figure out what's next. And you know you've, you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus and said yes to him. That's you today. Nobody looking around. I just want to just wonder right now, would you put your hand in the air so I know who I'm praying for? Just say, that's me, Pastor. I, I, I need Jesus. I need to say yes to him. I need, to, I, need to, I, need, I need him to show up in my world. I want you to pray with me. and You can use your words or my words, but we're praying together. Lord, I need you today. God, I need you to help me. I surrender to you. I trust you with everything in my life. I give it all to you today. For some of you today, it's, it's Lord, I, forgive me of my sins. I repent. I follow you. I surrender everything to you. I trust you, Jesus. I give you everything today. In Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Would you clap your hands right now?